a desert planet with twin suns. Cassian Ander. This is what revolution looks like. People are standing up. Welcome back to Twin Sun Talks, folks. I'm your host, Jonah Liu. Thank you so much for listening. And welcome to our seventh Andor View and Breakdown. Um, this is going over episode seven, The Announcement. Um, and I love this episode a lot, and I can't wait to talk about it with y'all. So without further ado, let's have them do I Have Spoken. I Have Spoken. All right, I'm coming off being sick. So just as a disclaimer, if y'all hear me clearing my throat a lot, or if like the audio is cut up kind of strange, that means I'm pausing it to cough. Um, and I'm also going to sound like I have a gallon of liquid in my nose. Um, so just bear with me uh, because this was a really fantastic episode and I have a lot to talk about. So first we're going to do non-spoiler review, then full spoiler review and breakdown, then uh, ending with my theories about where we're going next, per the usual. So my non-spoiler review is that I loved this episode. It was more of a standalone story with some awesome insight into the Imperial side of things some great prequel-era Easter eggs, and some fantastic development for Cassian. I really didn't want this episode to end and can't wait to see where we go next. That's all that I feel like I can say without uh, spoiling it. So this is your spoiler warning. Spoiler, 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 spoiler. Let's dive in. So first of all, we have some pretty distinct storylines going on right now, so I'm just going to kind of break them into each of those. So we have Cyril, the ISB, Imperial Security Bureau, Luthen, who is the collector slash rebel leader, Mon, Mon Mothma, who is the uh, imperial senator, the Aldani team, and Cassian. Um, so those those are my major my major like categories for this episode that I think I'm probably going to continue with later because it just seems like these episodes kind of have been bouncing around between these different storylines. So Cyril Karn, the deputy inspector from Morlana. He, first of all, still has mommy issues. Second of all, has an unfulfilled desire for approval and uh, desire to make a difference, which I'm sure we'll see manifest in some way or another, either him joining the Empire full-time or him joining the Rebellion. Probably the latter. I think that he's kind of a foil to Deidre, or Dedra, as we hear is pronounced, um, who works for the ISB. But for now, he's stuck in a cubicle at the Bureau of Standards, which I find rather terrifying. Um, but, but yeah, no, I think that he's he's gearing up to do something big. Um, talking about the ISB, the Imperial Security Bureau, who are the people that are wearing the white suits. The man who is talking initially, who we haven't seen before, he's the only one of these officers to have the little red uh, insignia on his... Uh, title plaque. This is Colonel Wolf Ularen. Now, he once held the title of Admiral during the Clone Wars when he served alongside Anakin Skywalker, but he changed his rank and moved from the Naval Division into the Security Bureau once the Empire took over and received the rank of Colonel from Palpatine. And he also was very influential in helping Thrawn rise to prominence. He is featured in Rebels. He's a pretty significant secondary character in the Clone Wars TV show. He's awesome. I had said that we might see him, and I'm super, super pumped that they incorporated him in. They didn't even mention that it is who he is. Like, you can, I could kind of tell. I had to look up a picture to see if, like, the insignia matched up, but I figured between the mustache 
and the general general demeanor that it was him. I'm super happy that they incorporated him in such a subtle and cool way. Um, but yeah, no, that being said, Dedra sees that Imperial response to what's happened on Aldani only validates rebel action. They're uh, buckling down on everything and giving people essentially more reason to stand up against their uh, tyranny. And she understands and is able to get her superiors to see that they can't fight them using conventions and standards. They have to adapt. And I think that that's super, super cool. And I can't wait to see what else she ends up doing. Because honestly, her job seems very, or her thought process seems very similar to essentially what, what I'm studying in college. Like it's this idea of like, okay, this is something that's existing. And this is a problem with this existing system. How do we fix it? And her process for approaching this is is very similar to that. So that's been super cool for me to see. And I really, I'm excited to see where her character goes. But that's about all that I have for the ISB. Um, Luthen. He's very Sagarera-esque, as we're starting to see. He's much more extreme than the likes of Mon Mothma. Um, his mentality is essentially to force the Empire to overreact and give people more reason to stand up, like I said earlier. Um, this mentality of, like, the Empire has been squeezing us so slowly we've started not to notice, notice and we, we can't hide forever. These sorts of mentalities, uh, it's very impatient, very, very antsy, which understandably so, the Empire is awful. But, um, but yeah, no, he's much more aggressive and much more reckless than the likes of Mon Mothma. Um, two new items in his gallery, one of which was uh, shown in some of the promotional material, but it's a Keldor mask. So if you're familiar with Jedi Master Plo Koon, it's kind of the focal point of a lot of these shots. And it's this mask that's essentially a pressurization mask because these Keldor uh, can't survive in oxygen-rich atmospheres for, for very long, so they need these special suits. Um, and it looks almost exactly like Plo Koon's mask, which is wild. So I don't know if that if it is. Um, I, I don't know, but... Uh, it's pretty cool to see, because uh, Plo Koon's one of my favorite characters. He's a Jedi from the Clone Wars. He sits next to Mace Windu on the Jedi Council, if you're not familiar with him, with his with his fingers tented. Um, super cool character. Very, very awesome. And then in the background of one of the shots, you see a Jedi Temple Guard mask. Um, like I said, I'm pretty sick, so I'm sure I missed some stuff, but both of those things were really cool. Uh, and th his little gallery is just, it's a candy shop for Easter eggs, and so love all the details that they put in there. Mon Mothma is not willing to achieve victory at the expense of innocence, but she's beginning to take greater leaps. She's confiding in her friend at the dinner party and realizing what she must do for the cause. Um, so development for her is, is really interesting, especially with her family in the mix. So I'll be interested to see where she goes next. The Aldani team just has Cinta and Vel left, and Cassian's a loose end, and Vel is assigned to kill him while Cinta is still embedded on Aldani. I'm sure that that will shape up to be very interesting in the long run, but for now, we don't have too much more information on them. Lastly, we have Cassian, and this episode focused a lot on him, which is great. I don't feel like we've had too much focus on him recently. I feel like a lot has been sort of spread out across a lot of different storylines, which has worked really well. But at the same time, um, I think that this episode was very cathartic, especially with a lot of the unconclusive stuff um, that occurred in the first three episodes. So he goes back to Ferrix, which is the setting of the first three episodes. And I think that a 
big takeaway from this episode is that Cassian isn't selfish at all. He just has a very small circle and desperately wants to help his people by whatever means necessary, even if that means being very ruthless and cutthroat with other people. He is doing it in the service of trying to help the people that he cares about, like Marva, like Bix, like Basso, and all these people that have helped him. He's trying to repay them, and most specifically, Marva is who he's trying to help out. And speaking of Marva, she doesn't want his help. She wants to stay on Ferrix because she's too old and she doesn't care anymore. She was empowered by the Aldani, um, the Aldani heist to stand up because this is cool. And I figured that this was the case. I should have put this in one of my um, one of my vision segments. Clem was the name of Marva's husband. I don't know if we knew that already. I didn't know that. Um, but I figured that that was the case. That's the name that that Andor uses while he's uh, undercover with the Aldani team. Uh, he and Clem was killed trying to stop a demonstration from becoming hostile towards Imperial forces when they were still using clone troopers. Um, and then he was either taken into custody, custody and hung or hanged, or he was um, shot and then his body was was hanged as a warning. Um, but yeah, that we saw, we got to see phase two clone troopers under Imperial command post order 66. We got to see sort of the clones acting as more of a brutal police force during the bad batch season one. Um, but yeah, no, we also got to see Cassian in a little flashback taking on the clones himself. I just think it's really fascinating that we get to see all it's, it's this implicit storytelling, right? We, we get to see these things and we don't actually see clem die or cassian take on the clones but we there's a lot of implicit storytelling where you get all the emotion of these things without actually seeing them happen and i think that it has a lot to do with the fact that we're watching cassian's memory he doesn't want to remember that stuff um i just i find it fascinating i don't know i i i just love it i love it i love it i love it and obviously i'm a sucker for prequel era stuff so between you lauren and and these clone troopers, I was living life well. Um, Bix, she resents Cassian and feels that he doesn't consider how his actions affect others. And that goes back to me saying that he's not inherently selfish in his actions. He just really cares about helping the people that he's close to, regardless of the consequences of his actions. So Bix is the flip side to this, where it's like, okay, yes, he might not be entirely selfish, but he is still selfish in the sense that he doesn't think about how what he's doing affects other people. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, and it was a really sad exchange. Cassian is also trying to pay off all of his debts, uh, so that he can have a clean break from everyone on Ferrix. Um, and he's told by Marva to not, to, or to stop looking for his sister because no one on Canari survived. I think that that's some pretty good foreshadowing that he probably will keep looking for her and that she probably survived. Um, but you know, who knows? And then he also experiences Imperial quote unquote squeezing on Neomos, uh, whatever the tropical Florida esque planet was. Tell me that didn't feel like a Florida planet. That's like where people go to retire. Um, but we got to see some shore troopers, which we were introduced to in Rogue One, um, Imperial security droids, which means we could get K2SO soon. Stay tuned for that. Uh, Seeker droids, which we were introduced to in Kenobi, at least in visual media, and also stricter punishments and enforcement. Uh, the shore troopers are 
being a lot more strict about who they're arresting and the punishments are far more strict as well. He got six years in prison when he would normally get six months. Um, that's all that I have for the breakdown. Review-wise, this felt like being placed directly into Star Wars. It felt very Star Wars-y, while at the same time just feeling very organic and clean and fresh. My one complaint is the lack of alien characters in this show, which I think would really add to the vibes, especially uh, since this is about rebels and oppressed groups within the galaxy. The Empire is m almost entirely human, but I feel like we should be getting a little more of an alien element um, sprinkled into this, but I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Uh, overall, love the callbacks to the Clone Wars with you, Lauren, and the clones. I found myself really sad that this episode was over. I really wanted more, which is super exciting um, and encouraging for the rest of the show. Overall, I just, I really can't wait for more. So yeah, that's about all that I have for the review and breakdown. Let's dive into visions. To continue, we need one singular vision. My vision. Palpatine got mentioned a lot in this episode, so I'm very hopeful that we'll get to see him sometime soon. Maybe Vader as well, maybe someone like Thrawn. Could all be pretty cool, um, but, you know, could be wishful thinking as well. K2SO will probably get integrated into this season somehow, perhaps combined with B2. I've seen a lot of those theories floating around on the internet that uh, essentially B2 will get uh, put into uh, an Imperial security droid unit. I don't know. I feel like Cassian would probably still call him by the same name if that was the case. So thinking that probably not, but, um, but hey, who knows? Could be the case. Uh, Saw Greer is still coming into play at some point. Um, we saw that in the promotional material. Mon Mothma is probably going to keep getting bolder. Seal Karn is definitely still there. I feel like I've, I've said every week that he's about to do something big, and then he never does. So he's, he's still involved. He sure is. And then pe people are taking Dedra uh, seriously now, and so she's kind of been given free reign to do some real work. So exciting stuff. I'm pumped for next week. It's going to be awesome. And also Tales of the Jedi is coming out the same day, so it's going to be a busy day for me. But, you know, there are worse problems to have. So that being said, I'm pumped. I'm tired. And I'm done recording. So... That being said, you've taken your first steps into a larger world. May the Force be with you, and I'll see y'all in the next episode. Bye, friends.